Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. Real quick, how many of you, um, how many of you have ever been to Hawaii before? You've been to Hawaii. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've been to Hawaii before. All right, that's nice. That's real cool. Okay, where are the broke people at? How many have never been to Hawaii, but you'd like to go someday? Okay, there you go. That's got everybody in here. Okay, I remember the first time I went to Hawaii. I had never been before, and my friend was born and raised in Hawaii. Okay, now I was born and raised in um, Oakland, California. I grew up in the Bay Area of San Francisco, um, just that whole region and area. So when I went to Hawaii, I wanted to be able to do something Hawaiian. And, and this was before I had met my wife. So I was single. He was single. We were young college kids. And I said, let's go do something Hawaiian. And he goes, okay, let's go get some, you need to get some swim trunks on. I put my swim trunks on. Then we go out to the, to the water, to the beach. We go to this real forsaken beach and it was dark, y'all. The moon was not out that night. It was really late at night. And, and we get out there. Now he gives me stuff that I was accustomed to for going to the beach. He put some flippers on. I said, okay, I've been to the beach in, in Santa Cruz in California. That, that makes sense to me. You put flippers on, no problem there. Then he gave me a snorkel. I understand that. Of course, you can't breathe underwater, so a snorkel made sense. He gave me goggles, had goggles before, been snorkeling, no big deal. But then things got a little weird. He put this bag around, this, this anklet around my ankle and a big bag on a leash that was yellow, and he put that on me. Then he gave me this big flashlight. It was like a floodlight that shines like, you know, a mile out. And, and, and he gave me that. And I was like, what are we doing? And then he gave me this long spear that had a large rubber band wrapped around it, giant rubber band that wrapped around your shoulder and you hold it in your one hand. And then he said, okay, man, let's go. And I'm like, man, who are we fighting? Like, what are we doing? And, and, and he's like, no, let's go out. So we get out on the water and he's like, we're going night fishing. So what you do is you troll around on top of the water. You shine your flashlight. It's so clear in, in Hawaii. You can see all the way to the bottom. You can see all the colors, all the beauty, all the everything. And you swim down. You take a big breath. You swim down. And then when you see a fish you want to you fish for, you get the, the, the spear up, let go, and it, it punctures the fish, put it in the bag, come back up, take a breath and start trolling around again looking for fish. Man, he did that. I was like, now I'm a, I told you, I'm a city boy. And so I looked at this and just thought, oh man, this is crazy. I mean, this is, you know, I'm not like, you gotta understand, I'm not like some of y'all folks in the South here. I went out with some of the Southern brothers on staff here yesterday, played some golf and um, I stepped into a hill of fire ants. Man, I never experienced pain like that in my life. I thought, who are they mad at? Like, what did I do? And I don't know, they like loved my California skin. They just got on me. And my shoes were white, but my left shoe was all black. That's how many of them were on there. And they crawled up on me. And th these guys took the shoe, started dusting them off with their hands. And, and I was looking, I was, I had to go act like I took a phone call because I was crying, but I didn't want them to see it. You know, when you get around real strong, these Southern brothers, they were like, that ain't no thing, Pastor. Give that to me right now. Pating, spit on it, got it wiped off. I was like, man, y'all some rough brothers. And, and so when I'm out there and, and we're out there swimming, I was like, man, this is incredible. I can't believe I'm out in this water. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous out here. This, the, the water's there. All these fishes are here. And, and my friends here, I'm like, God, how'd you get me? I mean, I grew up in kind of a tough home. So I was thinking, man, God, how'd you get me this far into this great life. And it was amazing. I was having this spiritual, sacred, kind of just solemn moment. And then all of a sudden, something really large went over the backside of my legs. 
Um, uh huh. I don't know if you ever had this thought before. I don't know if you've ever had a thought in a moment of your life where you thought this thought. I'm going to die right now. That's what I thought. I literally thought like, I'm, I'm going to die right now. I'm going to die. Whatever Chris Harrell was going to do, Chris Harrell did. I'm past tense now. I'm not even, there's no future for me. And it was so large. Immediately the thought went through my head that some of my friends told me growing up. Now you got to understand, I told you I grew up in a diverse area. Now my friends growing up was a little different. Their names were different. I did not grow up with my best friend's names being Jeremy. My, my friend's growing up names was not Timothy or Jonathan. Okay, those were not my friends' names growing up. No, my friends' names growing up was Jerome, Jamal, Jarrell, Daquan. Okay, those were my friends, okay? So they taught me some things about the ocean that I didn't pay attention to when I got out into Hawaii. And the first thought that went through my head was when Jamal said to me one time, man, we don't go in the ocean. And I said, why? And he said, you already know, because there's sharks in that water and so I'm sitting there in this water and that thing was big and I was, sitting, I was like Jamal was right <laughs> shark gonna get me and I started thinking through it and I swear I heard the sound underneath I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost positive I heard the sound shark bait ooh ha ha and I'm like it's over I'm gonna die right now and that shark don't care about me he, he want to be on the next episode of shark week that's it you know and, and he probably, you know, looking around, he, he probably used to dark Hawaiian skin. And I had that white meat, he was like, you know, and I'm like, oh man, here it goes. And I had what I've never had before. So I didn't know what was happening. This is the first time I've only had one other, one of these things happen. Uh, but it paralyzed me so bad with fear that I had a panic attack in the water. And a panic attack, you like freeze. And like, you hear like, sound goes like, Like it's, uh, that is going, and I couldn't move. And I thought, man, I've never faced anything like this. I've never been out in the water at dark at night with big sharks around here. This is overwhelming. And it's taken me into places I can't even fight out of. And I was frozen and I started to feel the water just take me out to sea. And I was like, <sighs> and one by one, I was able to finally, after a minute or two, I, I started swimming. I broke out. And I was able to get to shore. And, and what's interesting is it, it, part of it was because I was afraid and fear got on me. And once fear got on me, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything else. But the other reason why was because I was facing something that I had never faced before. And because of that, it stunt me right where I was at. I mean, it froze me. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because it doesn't just happen in this story in Hawaii for me, but it happens in life. There are things that you will go through sometime that you've never been through before. And when you are in it, it could get you so bad that it will stun you and paralyze you from moving forward. And you don't even know what to do because you've never gone through that before. There are some of you in this room that your marriage is facing stuff right now that you've never been through before. And no one knows it in this room, but you're sitting right now, right now in church, right now going through something that nobody in this room knows is really going on in your marriage and it has stunned you, paralyzed you and you don't know how to get out of it because it's bigger than you. The storm of the waves, the pull of the ocean, bigger, you know, things, it's just so bigger than me. And in your life, it's like, I don't know what to do with my teenagers because I've never faced what's going on in my home right now. For others of you, you have adult kids. And so it's not just your kids, but it's double for you because now it's your kids 
kids. It's your grandbabies. And your kids, maybe adult children, aren't serving God. They've walked away from God or the church. And, and they're, they're working out life and making maybe some decisions that you know ain't that good. And you're, now you're, not just your kids are being affected, but now your grandkids are being affected. And so it hurts your heart almost twice as bad. Others of you, it's, it's, it's a personal issue. It's, maybe it's an addiction. It's something that it's just been this, this one issue that just paralyzes you in your walk with God or m- keeps you from moving forward, keeps you from feeling, feeling free to advance your own life or to feel free to be who you are because you just always live in shame or condemnation and you're just always beat up by it and you just kind of like live the same life every day and call it today, but it's the same life as it was yesterday. And you're like, is it always gonna be like this? For others of you, it's, it's finances, maybe it's debt, it's, it's, it's job that you need, or your business hasn't taken off like you thought it would. Some of you, it's your family. It's your mom, your dad, your, your brother, sister, aunt, uncle. You ain't talked to them in days, maybe weeks, maybe even some of you ain't talked to them in years. And you don't know what to do. It's bigger than you. It's, it's, it's a force that is so much stronger than you that it's like, I'm paralyzed. And I literally don't know. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid to parent this wrong. And then they go this way. I'm afraid to respond this way. And then our marriage gets worse. I'm afraid to do, I don't know. I'm not sure. And I just kind of stick where I'm at and rotate through the same life. And I haven't moved or gone anywhere. I'm just where I was six months ago, a year ago, two years ago because I'm paralyzed, because I really don't know what to do with the situation I'm in right now. And see, the wonderful thing about God is that God knew that you and I were gonna go through stuff like this. This is not a shock to God. God is not shocked by this. He knows, and in fact, the scripture is full of stories of people facing storms that were bigger than them. And today what I wanna do is I wanna zoom right on in in a story where Jesus actually and his disciples face a storm. And let's find out how does Jesus lead out of those exhausted, tired moments? And how does he then ask his and train his disciples to go out of those? Because if we could look into what they were taught to do, what Jesus modeled, we could extract some of those principles and apply them right here now. And God's word, I believe, will transform your, your own season, your own journey this morning. See, I really believe God has a word for you. Some of you, this is so important. I know you came to church and you thought Pastor Mike was going to be here and then there's a guest and then all the rest of you are like, man, and, and I'm t- but I'm telling you, God brought you here. This is a divine appointment for some of you. And so I want to look into the scripture and see how does Jesus teach us to deal with moments and storms and challenges that are bigger than we are. It says this in chapter 14 of Matthew, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them to the other side. Everybody say the other side. Now, come on. Y'all going to have to be a little louder than that today. Come on. I'm, I'm used to preaching to a church that talked back to me. So y'all going to have to work with me. Y'all ready to do this today? Say yeah. yeah. Okay. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them to the other side. Everybody say the other side while he dismissed the crowd. What crowd is this? Somebody say there and then. Everywhere I go and whenever I speak, I always preach from the perspective I call there and then. What it means to me is I want the church and the people I preach to to know what was going on there and then in the story of the Bible. So if you can understand what was happening there and then, we'll be able to be able to extract and understand, okay, God, what do I do here and now? So before we do here and now, let's understand there and then what's going on because I want you to understand the world of the Bible. Because if you don't understand the world world of the Bible, you can never understand the word 
words of the Bible and the word of God, I think is so vital, important. It's the blueprint for life and we don't understand it. And maybe some of you in this room, just getting back into church, you're just coming back to God. You're trying to get your life together. And you know, you believe in God, you, you know, the Bible's got truth and wisdom and it's God's word, but you just kind of been out of it for a while. And you just, you know, maybe got out of the focus of, of serving him. And, and so you're back in it. But some of the stories you're like, I remember them. I don't know them. See, that's why I really believe it's important to do there and then so that you don't ever have to feel like, well, I, I haven't been in church for a long time. I don't really know what they're talking about. So let me bring everybody up to speed. Jesus just dismissed the crowd. Which crowd does he dismiss? He had just got done feeding the, 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 the 5,000. Now, those of you that are Bible readers and theologians, you already know that it was actually not 5,000 people. But for those of us who maybe don't know that, I want you to know that they only counted men back then. And so it was not 5,000 people that Jesus fed. He fed 5,000 men. But most theologians agree he fed between 10 to 15,000 people counting women and children. So Jesus didn't multiply fish and bread for 5,000. He actually fed 10, 15,000. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever done an all-day ministry day, gone to the Dream Center and served, done a Servolution day, I mean, some of this church is known for that in this nation and in our world, so this is a church that understands serving. You're tired at the end of that day. You're exhausted. Your physical capacity, your heart is full, but your body is empty. And you're just like, man, some of you moms, you know what I'm talking about. You've done a birthday party for a bunch of crazy four-year-olds, right? And they run around the house at the end of the day. You're like, woo, God help me. Somebody watch these kids. And you're tired because it's natural. Some of you guys, you work all week on a big project at work and you work and you work and you work. You're tired at the end of the day. But when you come home, you have a wife that has emotional needs for her husband. You have kids that need to receive from dad and be built up in their identity and their security. And you're just exhausted. You're like, God, I, I don't, I feel like I don't have anything left to give tonight. And I know my family needs something from me. What do I do? How do I do this? And this is what's great about Jesus. He actually models this. Why? Because he's going to be tired. He just fed all these people, spent all day preaching, all day doing miracles. He's poured himself out. And what does Jesus do? Well, the first thing he does is he dismisses the crowd. So he gets away from the masses. Then he gets his closest disciples and he puts them in a boat and help me out church. He sends them to the other side. Now, what will Jesus do with himself? This is what scripture tells us he does. Verse 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Everybody say mountainside. So let's review. Jesus feeds and does a miracle. He multiplies fish and bread. And, and by the way, this is another sermon for another time, but I don't really believe Jesus fed the five, 10 or 15,000. Jesus multiplied fish and bread. His disciples fed the people, but that's for another sermon to understand what it's called to be as a church. It's our job to take the fish and bread and hand it out to the people who are hungry. It's not the pastor's job to make sure everybody gets fed. It's the pastor's job to make sure that he can multiply fish and bread. It's the church's job to make sure everybody gets fed anyways. That's all I want to say about that. Jesus multiplies fish and bread. The disciples hand it out. It's a miracle. People are looking at Jesus, understanding something special is happening in their days. He's probably tired. So he says he dismisses the crowd. Y'all go home, go live, go be, go tell the stories of God. You disciples, get in this boat, go to the other side. I'm gonna meet up with y'all later. Then he goes from telling them to go to the other side. He goes up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Listen up. Sometimes what we do in church and in ministry is we keep grinding and grinding and grinding and we don't ever pull back and get away with Jesus by ourselves and just pray. But sometimes that's what we need. Gee, now listen, this is how you know it. If the son of the living God needed to get alone with his heavenly father to rejuvenate and recharge his batteries after a tired day of pouring himself out, don't you think you and I might want to 
I mean, he's Jesus, right? I mean, if there was ever anybody who could show up and wing it the next day, it's probably the son of God, right? Like, I am the son of God. I ain't trying to like perpetrate, but like, you know, I could probably do this again tomorrow. I'm cool, right? I'm, I'm Jesus here. And yet he don't do that. Why? Because he's the perfect Christian there to model exact behavior for us to follow. So he models this idea that, hey, I pour out. I'm fully God, but I'm fully man. And my fully man part still needs to be re-energized and connected to my heavenly father so I don't get tired in body, though my spirit is strong. And we have to understand your spirit, you could be full of the Holy Spirit. I know this church has walked through a whole series on the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, the Holy Spirit, the passion of the spirit, everything about spirit. And you could have the fruit of the spirit. You can have the Holy Spirit. You can speak in tongues. You can have everything work and have the strength of the spirit and tiredness in your body if you don't learn how to love God with all your soul and spirit, but with all your mind and all your body, you'll be incomplete. Jesus models this for us by going by himself to the mountain to pray. But there's a reason he's on a mountainside and I wanna get to that. Here's what happens next. Now his disciples are gonna be in there. It says, when evening came, he was there alone. Verse 24, very important. But the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. So this boat is way out in the water. Now watch what's going on in the water. It is buffeted, meaning beat up by these waves. And this is beat up by these waves. And it's such a bad storm that because the wind was against it, it means that this boat isn't going any further in the progress towards where it's supposed to go. Jesus told them to get in this boat. Help me out again. Let's review. And I want you to go to the other side. Then he goes up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And while they are headed towards where Jesus told them to go, they run into opposition. They run into a storm. They run into something so much stronger than what they have faced before that even they can't get through it. And who are they again? There are some disciples, but let's remember real quick, church, what occupation did some of these guys have? They were fishermen. This is not the first storm that these guys have been through. This ain't the first wave that's hit a boat that they've been on. These are for some strong brothers. These are some bearded hooks in their hands. You know, like we some fishermen up in here. They were probably from the South, right? I mean, that's who these guys are. They strong, man. They, they're no whippersnappers. And yet this storm is even bigger and stronger than even they can get through. Listen, I don't care how long you've been in church, how much scripture you've memorized, how much tongues you talk, how many healings you've seen, how long you've been in church, how much you tithe, how much you give to kingdom builders. You could have all that working and you could be doing it all. But I'm here to tell you there will be some storms. Even you will have to absolutely stop and recognize, God, if you don't get us out of this storm, I don't care how experienced I am at knowing you, I can't make it through this one. God will let you go through a storm sometimes that's so much bigger than you as a Christian just to remind you that you are not the one getting yourself through the storm. Sometimes he allows them. He don't cause them. I think he's not up there like, well, I got a rain, thunder, lightning down on you just so you remember who I am. I don't think God's that insecure. But I do think he allows things that will help shape our minds to remind ourselves, oh, wait, I have, I have, I have need of you. And so this is what Jesus is doing. And he's in a position where they're now up in this storm and they can't go where they're going. They're fighting a storm that's bigger than them, that's causing them to just like freak out. They can't move forward. And the only reason they're even in this storm is because they're doing what Jesus told them to do. You, you ever been in an absolute challenging, hard, painful, 
frustrating season of your life. And the only reason it is difficult on you is because you're trying to do what Jesus told you to do. I mean, you being obedient. Okay, let's keep it real. Some of you in this room know what I'm talking about because you're single and you know you could have somebody to love you, but you'd have to compromise your standards to have somebody love you. So you are lonely and you deal with a loneliness storm constantly only because you are choosing to do what Jesus has called you to. It's not easy, it's hard, it's difficult, and it's a storm that you'd rather get on the other side of and you trying to make it to the other side, but in the way of the other side arrival point is this storm you can't get through. And sometimes you will go through things just because you are following Jesus. And I bet the disciples are probably thinking, man, The only reason we're even in this storm is because Jesus put us in this boat and told us to go. And where are you at anyways, Jesus? You ain't in this boat. We the one rowing. I know we got a lot of folks in this room been in church a long time, but I bet there's a few of you in here will keep it real with me enough to say every now and then I ask God, God, what are you doing? I mean, I know you in charge and I know this is probably like my humanity, but like, why is this happening, man? Why, why, why'd you let this storm happen? Why, why, did, why, did they, why did they pass away? Why did they lie? Why didn't I get this job? Why did I lose my job? Why is my marriage going through this? How come my kids are, 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 are going through, what? why? Like, what's going on, God? And see, I think this is where we can begin to understand that, that God, I don't think he causes these things, but he will allow them. And this is when we could start to see the disciples had the same problem. They're in a storm and the only reason they're in there is because they're following what Jesus said to do. You will sometimes go through storms and the only reason you're in them is because you're being obedient to following the words of Jesus. But I'm here to tell you this, and I just want to take a brief departure from where I'm headed with this message just to remind some of you that are in a storm right now. Or you can't tell nobody like you can. But you know right now I'm talking to you. In this room, you are looking at me and you can tell you are the one in the storm you can't get through on the other side. And you feel like you're doing it. You're trying to get to the other side. You've been fighting to get to the other side. And it's hard and it's difficult. And I'm telling you right now, God put me on a plane and then another plane and then another plane and then a van and then another plane and then a tram and then another plane and then a car and then a big truck, monster truck just to get me here so I I can tell some of y'all in this room that though you are in the storm, if Jesus told you you going to the other side, then I need you to know this morning, church, you going to make it. And Jesus is now in a position, watch this, where if you go and look at the geography, the mountainside Jesus is on is perched at such a place he could actually look out over the entire body of water. Just when you think Jesus ain't paying attention to your storm, just know he has positioned himself precisely so he could look right on in and check it out so that he has allowed you to go through something just so he could do something miraculous. See, some of you know what's about to happen. You've read this story. You know what Jesus is about to do. He's about to do some Jesus in. And so you already know what he's about to do, but I want you to understand the principle. They don't know that in the boat yet. All they know is we're in this storm and where are you? And Jesus is allowing them to go through that so they will learn to depend on him and so he can show them in another way how much of a savior he really is. Watch what happens next. It says this, during the fourth night of fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake like you do. (laughs) When the disciples saw him, Walking on the lake, they were terrified. Now, 
This gets really interesting. Watch how they respond. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Now, I want you to pay attention here because, see, I don't know how you read the Bible, but I read the Bible very interactively in my own life, okay? I'm a little bit more of an interactive reader. So when I read this and I hear it say that they were terrified because they saw something walking on the lake. Now, it must have been far enough away that they weren't able to make out what it was that, that was walking across the lake. Not only that, but it was dark because it was the fourth watch of night, so it's early, early in the morning. Not only that, but if the waves were big enough to keep a boat from going by with some strong fishermen in this boat, clearly there's waves enough that if you've ever been deep sea fishing and been in some tough waters, waves, then the boat goes up and you can't really see what's on the other, top, on the other side of these waves. Plus the overspray of the waves hitting the boat and the wind blowing the water across cross and then the sail going back and forth and it's dark and it no maybe even was misty it's like I don't know what that is but it says that they were terrified and even said it's a ghost and that means the ghost represents death so they believe whatever vision Jesus had given us is certainly going to die we ain't going where Jesus said whatever I thought my marriage was going to be whatever I thought my kids were going to be whatever I thought I was going to be however I thought it was going to go it's not going that way we ain't moving forward it must be going to die here because that's a ghost coming to take us. That's how they came to see it. And then it says they cried out in fear. I mean, they is afraid of all these things. And when it says they cried out in fear, I mean, these are like, these ain't some brothers that just cry out in fear. But when they did, it was like, they was like, Jesus, no, like for real, Jesus, right? And then it's kind of interesting because we understand that they're so afraid and Jesus's response, listen to me now, he responds to their fear swiftly and strongly. Watch this, immediately Jesus said to them, take courage, I'm right here. Do not be afraid. Take courage. What is it about fear that Jesus understands is absolutely just destructive to the soul of us as people of faith? Why does Jesus speak to the fear so quickly? Because Jesus knows that fear cannot cohabitate with faith. That faith will get choked out and killed. And where there used to be faith and belief that God will, now all of a sudden doubt and I don't know and I'm not sure and anxiety and I have to do it myself and I'm going to quit praying because I got to work this out because praying didn't get me nowhere and the problem stayed the same and the storm stayed in my life when I was praying. So that praying didn't get me nowhere. So I got to start working this thing out for me. See, Jesus knows what fear will do. So he immediately speaks to it. He says, stop. Yeah, Jesus, you understand. You understand my husband, he's a piece of work, Jesus. (laughs) Jesus, you don't understand. You don't know what it's like to live with that woman. I mean, Jesus, come on, man. As soon as I get home, I open up the door. As soon as I put my foot in that door, she's like, where you been? I don't know why you're so late. You know, I cooked that dinner all along. I don't understand what you're doing. And you just like, Jesus, I don't, I don't think, you, maybe you don't understand how hard this is. Like, I, I'm afraid because I got good reason. The money is tight. The, they're still sick. My, the, I can't, how do I forgive those kinds of things that were done to me? I was a kid. What you want me to do with that, Jesus? I, I don't, and he just says, I'm right here. 
take courage. Don't be afraid. He doesn't say you can't face fear. He says you're going to face fear. You're going to experience fear. Fear is going to come knock on your door. Fear is going to try to intimidate you, try to lie to you, try to tell you you ain't got nothing to know of future. Fear is going to try to get on you so bad. He doesn't say you're never going to face fear. He doesn't say you won't encounter fear. He doesn't say that fear won't come and try to intimidate you. What he says is don't let the exterior of fear knocking on the door of your soul and of your faith and get to the point where he sneaks in to who you are and gets you into a place where you ain't facing fear. You've become afraid. Jesus knows that that will destroy faith. And when faith is destroyed, all things begin to crumble into life. And so he says, take courage right now. It's me. Don't be afraid. And this is where it gets interesting because Peter, you know, Peter, he's always talking, right? Peter got a big mouth. And you ever have people in your life, you ever call someone on their cell phone, you, if you know someone in your life like this, well, when you call them, they act like they, um, when their, their, their voicemail acts like they picked up and get you talking to them, but it's not really them. How many know somebody like I'm talking about, right? You ever call someone like that? You pick up the phone and you're like, and they're like, hello. And you're like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, oh, nothing. What are you doing? You're like, I ain't doing anything, man. We trying to hang out today? I don't know. What do you want to do? Uh, I already asked you that. No, nah, okay. Well, what's, what's up? Oh, uh, nothing really. I'm just thinking um, maybe we should go hang out. Okay, cool. Well, let's go try that. Yeah, all right. You want me to? Nah, just kidding. It's a voicemail. Leave a message. <laughs> man, I just want to say, I think there's a spot in hell for people like that. I just, it's what I believe. It's my thoughts, just me, just me talking out loud. You know what I do when I call people like that now? I, I have my own issues, so y'all pray for me. But I get on the phone and, and I say to them, when it picks up and they go, hello, and I'm like, mm, I don't know. I don't know if that's you really. I'll say this immediately. This, you could take this and use it, make you feel real good. You look crazy, but you feel good. And, and I say, Say my name right now. What's my first and last name? Whose name just came up on the caller ID? You're not saying my first and last name. You know why? Because this ain't really you. This is your voicemail. You think you're getting me, but I'm getting you. You better get up earlier in the morning. You want to get one over on Chris Harrell, son. That's right. Recognize the game. Game recognize game, son. And I'm on it. I'm out. Click. Yeah. What's up now, boy? <laughs> and that's kind of funny because this is kind of what Peter does, right? Jesus says this, watch, Jesus says, uh, it's me out on the water, and since you can't see me because the waves and the darkness and the spray of the wind and the waves hitting the boat and the rain and all the storm is so big and it's dark and I'm so far away, you can't see me, but I'm telling you it's me. But Peter's probably talking to the boys, being like, oh, I guess it's Jesus out there walking on the water and stuff because that's what we do nowadays. <laughs> Guys, I'm going to handle this one. Don't even worry about it. Oh, hey, Jesus, since it's you out there, why don't you tell me to come out on the water since it's really you. And then Jesus goes, well, come on. <laughs> you know the other disciples was probably looking at Peter like, ooh, yeah, get out on the water now, Peter. You know you can't even swim. You finna drown out there. That's what I thought. Always talking, Peter, always talking. Finally, it's gonna get you. Peter, what's this? <laughs> That's you. Now, the way it actually worked was Peter could not test and see if the water would hold him. He, he couldn't do it. The way the boats were made back then, they were four to eight feet up off the water. So when Jesus, when he hears the voice of Jesus, Peter has to trust that though he cannot see Jesus's face or make out the, 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 um, the idea that it's him, they can't see his face, can't see his hand, he's got to trust that he's heard his voice. Church, sometimes you're not going to be able to see God moving. You got to listen to his voice. 
Sometimes God won't be doing things that you can see. You got to trust. Okay, I don't see you moving. It seems like I'm just in a storm and we ain't going anywhere. But if I listen enough, I hear your voice. And that's what Peter has to trust. And so Peter doesn't get to kind of test the water. He's like, oh, Jesus, right? Is that you? <laughs> He's got to trust. Okay. You said I, then I'm, I'm going to get, <laughs> I'm on this water. What's up now, disciples? Oh, yeah. What? Who's on the water? Who's on the boat? Who's on the water? That's me right here. Uh, get me, get me, right? Like, come on, boys, get that. And it says, the scripture says that Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and he came toward Jesus. Now watch this. I have not walked anywhere. That's taken a step. So clearly he does not get out of the boat and take a step toward Jesus because had he only needed to do that to see Jesus, then they would have not been afraid that it was a ghost because they would have been able to see Jesus because he had been close enough for them to see. Nope, that's not what happens. He has to walk out on the water plane and come towards Jesus. That means he had to get out far enough away wherever Jesus was that he couldn't see to be able to have this encounter with Jesus that we know is in scripture. So it's far enough away from the boat that now he could get to where he sees Jesus, but now he can't see the boat. And it says he comes and he comes out toward Jesus. He's walked away far enough through a storm to get to Jesus. But then something happens to Peter that has happened to a lot of us that will happen to many of us again. In fact, I would, I would dare say all of us, the same thing that happens to us happened to Peter. He took his eyes off Jesus and he started to sink. And then what happens to you and me when we take our eyes off Jesus happens to Peter. And it says this in the next verse. It says that when he saw the wind, he was what? Afraid. And there it is again. That's why Jesus spoke to fear. Before he even brought Peter out on the water, he wanted Peter to recognize, don't play with fear. Don't let your anxiety and your stress. I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Did you hear that? With all your heart, soul, and strength. But you better learn to love him with your mind. You can't let your mind run crazy thinking that because your spirit and your heart and your body loves Jesus, your body might serve the church and write the checks and be faithful to small group and all the rest. Your heart might love worship and forgive and do all those things. And your soul might be full of the Holy, full of the Holy Spirit. But if your mind is controlled by the enemy and fear, then Jesus knows I can still break down these other areas eventually. Let me get in your mind and get you afraid, get you controlling, get you having to be God of your own life and not trusting. And I can mess this whole thing up. And so it says that when he saw the wind, he took his eyes off Jesus and he started to sink. But then somewhere, Peter might have had a good Sunday school teacher. Peter might have had a mom that prayed enough. He had a grandma. He had a dad that was faithful to church when it wasn't easy. He had a dad that, that, that taught him how to be a man of God. And so Peter had enough of something inside of him that he knew, I'm in trouble right now, but I know what I can do when I've gotten myself into trouble by my own mistake, by taking my eyes off my own Savior. I'm sinking, but I know what I'm supposed to do because I had people tell me, when you sink, this is what you do. You call on the name of Jesus and he says Lord save me because I'm sinking 
And I'm not sinking because I don't love you. And I'm not sinking because I don't go to church. And I'm not sinking because I ain't tithing. And I'm not sinking because I ain't going on a mission trip. And I'm not sinking because I don't want to follow you. And I'm not sinking because I don't trust you. And I'm not sinking because I want to quit on the faith. I'm not sinking for any of them reasons. I want to follow you. I'm out here on this water trying to trust you. I believe in you. I love you. I'm sinking because I got distracted by something and took my eyes off you. And now I'm in a position where I need you to save me. And he reaches out his hand and he calls on Jesus's name. And then it says that Jesus looked down at Peter and said, well, that's what happens when you take your eyes off me. Next time you better keep your eyes on me and you won't sink like this. That's what happens when you lose sight of what really is supposed to be important in your life. See, you quit, you, you quit acting right, Peter. Yeah, you took your eyes off me. Now you're getting what you have coming to with all that water going down your throat. I bet next time I tell you to keep your eyes on me, I bet next time I tell you to, to stay in the word, I bet next time I tell you don't skip church, I bet next time I tell you you better not date them, you better not date him, I bet next time I tell you something, you gonna listen. I'm gonna let you sit there and just kind of struggle for a little bit just so you can get the taste of your consequences for a minute. Yeah. Oh, actually, what's funny about that is that's not at all what Jesus says. That's what the church says a lot of times to people who take their eyes off Jesus. That's what Christians do. That's what church people do to people in our family and in our church when we find out somebody is taking their eyes off Jesus, not stop loving him, not stop wanting to follow him, just took their eyes off of him and started to sink because of it. We begin to treat them like they deserve to sink and we almost halfway happy they are sinking. Oh, I bet you won't tell the truth on yourself that much, but I know this is a part. If you don't mean to do it, you ain't trying to be bad, but somehow that sinister part of us gets in our Christianity and all of a sudden, those who don't listen to us deserve what they got coming to them. And we become righteous and judgmental and condescending and looking down on those and we're almost halfway. We would never admit it, but there's a little part of your heart that likes it when they get what they got coming to them because they took their eyes off Jesus. And the interesting thing about that is that is not at all how Jesus responds. And so if you have responded like that, you are out of alignment with the heart of Jesus Christ, the savior you say that you want to point these people to. You and Jesus are not on the same page. And if you want to get on the same page with Jesus, I want to remind you how Jesus responds. And oh, to God, what would happen if every church in America would respond to every person who takes their eyes off Jesus and begins to sink as a result of it? I mean, what if the church in America would respond to those people, both in the church and out of the church? I don't know, like Jesus does. What would happen if we would do what Jesus did? And to make it clear, let's listen to it because it's scripture and you don't have to like it, but you have to submit to it. You don't have to like that Jesus responded like this, but you have to follow it. I don't like everything I read in this thing because sometimes it makes me have to change what I like and want. But I've submitted my life to the authority of God's scripture. So when Jesus responds like this, I have to submit to it. And this is what Jesus says. Listen to the things he says. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Jesus doesn't say anything first. First, he gets the person who is called out for help. Now listen, he ain't helping people who don't want help. That's called codependency. Jesus is emotionally healthy enough to know if you ain't ready for help, then I'm not gonna help you because all it's gonna be is me doing it for you and that's not helping anybody. That's actually crippling you for life. 
So that's no good, okay? Jesus, he, he cries out, but when he cries out and says, I really need help and I know it, he says, okay, I ain't gonna tell you what you did wrong. I'm not gonna shove your nose in it. I'm not gonna remind you, well, you know why you're there, right? You do know why you're taking in water in your lungs. It's because, no, he just reaches his hand out and he grabs him and he pulls him up on the water plane again and says, there. Now we hear what Jesus says to him. And Jesus says this, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You, you had little faith. Why did you doubt? And see, this is where a lot of Christians and theologians get it wrong because we think that he's telling Peter a rebuke. Why did you doubt me? Why did you take your eyes off me? You stopped believing in me. And because you stopped believing in me, you stopped following me. You stopped focusing on me. You sank. But that's actually not what Jesus is saying. That's not even accurate. It's not hermeneutically breaking it down correctly. That's not what scripture teaches because we just heard Peter cry out, Lord, save me. So he's putting his trust in Jesus. He's putting his trust in the Lord. He is saying, you alone can pull me out of the circumstances I put myself in. I put myself here, but you are the only one who can pull me out. Peter does not doubt Jesus. Jesus is not telling Peter, you got little faith in me. You should have kept your eyes on. No, he knows he believes in him. He just cried out to him. He just said, save me. You alone can do it. No, Jesus is telling Peter, you have not little faith in Jesus. You have little faith in Peter. You don't think I could still use you because of all you've done wrong. You don't think you have what it takes for me to do something mighty. You don't think you can walk on water. You don't think you could do the miracle. You don't think you could lead that group. You don't think you could invest your life. You don't think you have anything to offer. You think it's too messed up. So you just play it safe and do what everyone knows to barely accept of you or expect of you. And you just kind of keep it there. But Jesus is saying, you of little faith, I got more for you than that, Peter. Don't you know I will build the whole entire church on you? I'm going to raise you up. You will preach to the day of Pentecost. Thousands will come to know Christ because of you. You're going to heal people. You're going to write a couple books in the Bible. I've got stuff for you to do that's mighty and you are sitting here doubting that you're worth any of that because you've got shame and mistakes and problems in your life. And I'm here to tell you that if you're in this room today, Jesus, even if you're sinking because you took your eyes off Jesus, he wants to reach out your hand if you would just do one thing, Lord, save me. It's me, I took my eyes off you. I love you, I wanna follow you. I want to give you my life. I, I, want to, I want you to do everything you ever planned to do. But I took my eyes off you in this one area, maybe not even every area of my life, but this one area. And this is what's so powerful is this conversation takes place in verse 31. And then all of a sudden, verse 32 says, and when they climb back into the boat, the wind died down. So they had to get to the boat before the wind died down. So let's review. If this conversation takes place way out on the waterfront and it was far enough away where they couldn't even see Jesus, in fact, thought he was a ghost because he wasn't recognizable because of the wind, because of the waves, because of the darkness of night, because of the crazy of all the overspray and the, maybe even the sails. And he's having this conversation. He falls. He takes his eyes off Jesus. And the same thing that happens to you and I happened to Peter. It's not because he didn't love him. It's because he got distracted and he sinks. But he calls on the name of Jesus and he was rescued and pulled back up on the water plane. And then out of nowhere, scripture just kind of bumps ahead and says, and when they climb back into the boat, but this conversation is taking place far away from the boat. So I got a question. How'd they get back to the boat? 
Church, I'm not here to tell you just about a Jesus who's the author and the finisher of the faith. I'm not just here to tell you that he's the only way and the only truth and the only life and the only way to the Father. I'm not just here to tell you that he's the perfect example and the perfect sacrifice and that when you face heaven someday and your imperfections are before a perfect God and the perfect God has a right to tell you, you don't get to come into perfect heaven because I am perfect and heaven is perfect like me. So you can't come in. And, and Jesus is the perfection that if you are wrapped in his righteousness, he will say, but since you're wrapped in my son's righteousness, you can come in, not on your merit, but on the merit of my son. That's not the Jesus I'm just here to tell you about. I'm not just here to tell you he's got a way for you, that he has a purpose for you, a promise for you, that he's the mediator, the in-between, God and us, that he's the forgiver, the redeemer, the restorer, the mercy, the grace, the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth because he doesn't just rescue Peter, but he tells him why he was sinking. He does both in all. Yeah, I'm here to tell you all about that Jesus, but I'm also here to tell you about the Jesus who doesn't just have you do the miraculous before you take your eyes off Jesus. But he even got plans for you after you take your eyes off Jesus. Peter does not walk on water once, church. Peter walks on water twice. Before he took his eyes off Jesus and after he took his eyes off Jesus. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.